0: Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, where we're introduced to the man David. One of the most delightful characters in all the Word of God. One that the Bible tells us more about than any other character except our Lord Jesus Christ Himself. We want to study the heart of David because the Bible said David was a man after his own heart. We want to ask What was it that made David unique from other men? What did David do that I could do? What did David do better than I do? That I can improve in? You know, when you look at David and you look at Paul, and you say, David and Paul are a lot alike. And they are. There's a reason. They're both sons of God. Amen. Now that kind of takes away all the excitement about David, doesn't it? But see, the Lord wrote more about David than He did anyone else so that we can read about David and we can find comfort for our souls. We can find a lot of instruction. Yes, David and Paul are alike because they're both sons of God and we're sons of God. So that means we have had given to us that same part of the divine nature that was given to both of them that is able to do those things that are pleasing to God. We're able to be like David. We're able to be like Paul. Let's finish our study tonight by reviewing where we've been and looking at a few miscellaneous aspects of David's heart. Rather than being children in our understanding, when we read 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, some of Kings, and 1 Chronicles, let's read with some understanding to see what kind of a man David was. Right. Let's not be content with historical information. Let's not be content with facts. Let's look for what was this man thinking. Why did he do that? How would I have responded in that situation? And it's probably different than David might have responded. And it's those kind of questions we want to ask and answer from our reading. A simple place to go read First Samuel and Second Samuel. And to learn about David. Those are wonderful books of the Bible and they're put there for you to grasp who David was and how he reacted to his life. Very afflicted man but a man that had great faith and trust and hope Amen. in the Lord. Fantastic trust in the Lord. What made him different? We want to try to remember that. Remember 1 Samuel 16, Samuel's visiting Bethlehem, asked Jesse to bring his sons forward because God has told Samuel that he would anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king of Israel. Jesse brings his sons and Samuel says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Now that's a man's opinion. And we're dealing with the best man in Israel. And the best man's opinion isn't good enough, is it? Surely, Eliab, David's oldest brother, had to be the best. Because the man was a stud. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 16. He was a looker. He had the gifts. He had the charisma, the leadership, the strength. A mighty man of valor. He served in Saul's army to be the next king. But here's what the Lord had to tell Samuel. And this should comfort all of you. It doesn't matter what others think of you. And I'm not here to teach some social gospel. I want to teach you the word of the Lord. It doesn't matter what others think of you. It doesn't matter that in the world's opinion, you might not be very important. You might have come from the wrong side of the tracks. The tracks may have been laid right over your house. It doesn't matter. This is what the Lord has to say in verse 7. The Lord said unto Samuel, and you wouldn't think that Samuel would need the instruction, but he did. Right. Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. What I can see about you and what you can see about me just from a casual glance, is how men grade other men. But that's not how the Lord measures. The Lord sees you on the inside. He sees your heart. He sees your soul. He sees what you do at home when no one else is looking. He knows what you think when no one else is watching. The Lord sees on the inside. And that is the part of us that we want to conform to be like David. Because that's how the Lord measures men. And we want to be measured by the Lord to come up with the same standard He gave for David. A man or a woman after my own heart. Right. Is there any better goal that we could have than to strive for that? May the Lord bless us to to remember that the Lord sees on the inside and to remember those things that we've learned and that we're going to see tonight. Okay, where have we been? What was the first thing that characterizes David as being... different from other men. Paul? Zeal in worship. worship. He loved to worship God. When he moved the Ark of the Covenant the first time, he did it erroneously, but he did it with great zeal, didn't he? He loved to worship the Lord. He had 30,000 men there, and he had a new ox cart prepared for it. And he had a great deal of music going on. That was the first time. The second time, he even had a bigger crowd there. He had the whole nation. And he danced with all of his might, and he fed the whole nation. Out of worship toward God. right? Zeal in worship. That means to us, we love to come to the house of God. We love to be here. We love to sing. What were you thinking about while we were singing those songs? I can't wait till this gets over because my feet are sore. Listen, you're sitting and I'm standing. And I wasn't talking about you, Bob. Not one bit. I was talking about the rest. What were you thinking as we sang? I can't wait till this song is over so that I can sit down. Oh, why'd somebody pick this song? It's not as lively as the ones I like. I like country western music. Let's come into the house of God and sing with all of our hearts and souls and worship God with the zeal that David had. He loved to worship the Lord. To have a brother get up here tonight and take Psalm 107 and plagiarize it and corrupt it for the benefit of his own family, did that rejoice your heart? Amen. For Andrew to get up here, did it rejoice your heart? Amen. We were worshiping the Lord and thanking Him for His goodness toward those two children. Right. He had zeal in worship, and I hope that we have it. I hope that we love to worship the Lord our God. He picked a spot for Solomon's temple. How did He pay for it? The man offered to give it to Him, give it to Him, lock, stock, and barrel. What David say? No way. I would never give the Lord anything that didn't cost me something. Right. I want to pay the full price. What's the market value of this place? I'll pay you the whole amount. Remember? Right. That's David's zeal and worship. And then when God wouldn't let him, him build the temple, did he? What's what does he say about his efforts? I took some trouble. Oh yeah. I took some. I, I made some trouble, son, in spending the last twenty years of my life gathering everything that you'll need. Right. Hundreds of thousands of shekels of gold silver and iron in abundance and brass and iron without measure. Right. Because he loved the worship of God. You know what he told his son in his deathbed? Son, I have gathered the materials that our God is great. You make sure that temple is ma- exceeding Amen. Amen. If you want to remember some words you won't use this week in a sentence, remember exceeding magnifical. David told his son that because David loved the worship of God. Right. Okay, are you like David? Do you love the worship of God? Do you love yeah. to lift the Lord up? Second thing about David that made him unique. Well, and I want these in order, so don't, don't make me embarrass you. Eric? Mercy and, truth. mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. David balanced mercy and truth like no other man. We're not told as much about other men. Other men, I'm sure, did like Paul But David had such a combination of mercy and truth. Do you remember? He spared Saul's life twice. If if you had been anointed king, I mean anointed king by God's man, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon you from that day forward so that you knew the Lord was with you and you knew the Lord had left that man and he was possessed of devils most of the time, and then that man chased you around for ten years of your life and tried to kill you. Whenever you were in his presence, he'd try to throw his javelin at you, and it would thud into the wall right beside your head while you're playing the harp and you weren't looking at him. If a man did that to you and chased you around like a dog, and then you had him dead to rights asleep on the ground and you're standing over him and you could kill him quietly and slip out of there, what would you do? Don't ask me. I'm asking you. And I hope that we'd be like David, but I fear my own soul. How about you? Would you have built up a little bit of resentment over ten years of time? Would there be a little bit of resentment there? I'd still be stabbing him when the sun broke in the morning. You know, where, where, what would you do? David let him go. Twice. The Lord put him into his hands and he let him go because he was merciful. When he, when he came and he was hungry and, and there was nothing else to eat but the showbread, how did that man know that he could eat the showbread and get away with it? Because David understood the mercy of God. Like David understood mercy. And do you know what? That mercy served him in that case and it was still mercy that God allowed even though it was serving David. He knew that he could eat the showbread. That's a man who had mercy. Did David understand truth? What did he do on his deathbed about his nephew Joab? Solomon, come here. You almost think of him like a Don taking his son Solomon and saying, listen, we got a ne- I got a nephew that's a problem. Do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. Right. Kill my nephew and protect your kingdom. He killed three men more righteous than he. That is truth. Do you know Joab served David faithfully all his life, except for a couple of occasions? David served, Joab served David very faithfully, and yet David knew that it was not right. When David came home from worshiping the Lord with all of his might and his wife made fun of him, how merciful was he then? He understood truth in that case, that that rebellious, profane daughter of the king that God had turned himself away from was making fun of him. He turned away from her for the rest of her life. Right. And there were no descendants of Saul to ever get near the throne of Israel. He knew truth. How well do you apply the two in your life? Are you able to stand for truth and yet be gentle and generous and merciful in your dealings with people? Mm. Can we have them both? Right. You know, the tendency is when we've got the truth, we're harsh. When we've got the truth, we're unforgiving. David knew how to have both, and that makes a man great. And the greatest man, the Lord Jesus Christ, they met together and kissed in Him because He's got the ultimate of both. He is the true and faithful witness and He is the mercy of God personified. He's both. Can we be both? The third thing that made David different. Newell? His spiritual exercises. Those private things David did when he was away from other people. What he would do in his closet. What he would do in his bed. What he would do when he was driving his car. When he was away from people. You understand what I mean by that. What he was doing when he was away. Private spiritual exercises. Now, this involves four things, if I remember correctly. What were those four? And I gave them to you in alphabetical order. Orville? Confession, meditation, prayer, and self-examination. Confession. David confessed his sins. When you read through the Psalms, was David ashamed to confess that he was a sinner? Look at 69 and 5. Psalm 69 and verse 5. Just for a reminder. Just for a reminder of David. Does anyone Has anyone ever heard the verse, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Who do you think wrote that? David did. David had four things that made his heart great. These four private practices will make your heart enlarge. And that is not something that can be found out on an echocardiogram. It is something that God finds out by looking on your inside. These four things will enlarge your heart. When a man is great in the sight of God, he is said to have an enlarged heart. It's enlarged toward heaven. The enlargement means his affections are greater than the average man. That's what... It's thinking of the heart as the seat of the affections. And if your heart is enlarged, that means you have affections that are greater than others. David had an enlarged heart because he had those four private spiritual practices of his. Confession of sin. Look at 69.5. O God, thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from thee. This isn't a man. This isn't a man who writes and says, O God, thou knowest my wisdom. O God, thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from thee. Confession. What was that second one that Orville told us? Meditation. He meditated. He considered. He thought. He mused. These are words we hardly use anymore. We muse. The world amuses because it doesn't like musing. So it goes places for noise and recreation and entertainment so it doesn't have to muse. To muse is to think deeply on something. And the Bible uses that word. Right. Look at Psalm 143. Psalm 143, I want you to remember where that word is found in your Bibles. Meditation. You know, we're too busy to meditate. You know, the old rocker on the front porch was not all that bad. The old rocker on the front porch with the old man sitting there just thinking. You say, what a waste of time. You really think so? Psalm 143.5. I love this verse on this subject. I remember the days of old. Are you too busy to remember? Because you're always thinking of what's going on now and what you got to do next. So you don't have time to remember. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. That is David's meditation. That is a wonderful verse. Confession. Meditation. prayer. He was a man of prayer. He prayed three times a day, Psalm 55, 17 tells us. He prayed often. I read a verse to you already tonight about Brother Stephen on behalf of him, where David prayed twice in one verse. He prayed, Lord, should I go up to any of the cities of Judah? Go up was the answer. That wasn't good enough for David. So he went right back to prayer in the same verse. 2 Samuel 2 1. Which city? Hebron. So he went up to Hebron. I lo- I'm amused by simple things because I'm a simple person. But I'll tell you, David prayed. And I like the way he prayed. He prayed about everything. And he prayed a lot. And you know what? About a third of the Psalms are his prayers for help because he was trusting in the Lord. Confession, meditation, prayer, self-examination. That's to come before the Lord and to come before the Word of God and examine yourself. How am I doing in this area? This area of my life. Do I measure up here? By the word of God, or am I short? Lord, forgive me. So it turns into confession. Then prayer. Help me to be better. Then meditation. There's been the Bible that were better than me in this. It's a, it's a, They all work together, those four things. Self-examination is asking yourself, soul, are you pleasing the Lord in every area of your life? Or are there areas that you're cheating? And then it's, Lord, help me examine myself lest I miss something. Show me if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139. David did those four things. And it's those four private things that I don't believe you or I do as much of as we should because it would enlarge our hearts. Does anyone in here want to stand up and say, you have done those four things enough that you are sure you've reached the point of perfection where you do not need them anymore? It's a constant, lifelong exercise. And that is what enlarges the human heart is that personal, private time with God. And I fear that we don't do enough of it. Don't you fear it with me? You're all looking at me like, maybe I'm the only one in this church that uh, wishes that he spent more time in those four things. Do you know what? I, I can justify myself achieving those four things faster than you can? I can tell the Lord that I'm doing something for you. I'm doing something for the church. I'm getting the truth out. I'm getting documents out there on the website. I am using my Bible. I'm just, I'm telling you my own soul. Because do you know what? There is something inside of me that does not like those four private religious exercises. My nature does not like those four things. It will burn itself out in every other thing imaginable. Right? It does not like those four things. Thank a few of you for nodding your heads. Maybe you're agreeing with me that I'm the only one like that, but no. I'll tell you. No. <laughs> do that to you so. If you if you were to ask me what was the most important point you taught us in the heart of David, they're hands down right here. Right. David's private personal exercises and enlarging his heart, no doubt about it. It's not mercy. I can get excited about mercy and truth. I can get excited about praise and thanksgiving. But I'll tell you, when you really want to analyze what makes a man's heart the the closest in tune with God, it is confession, meditation, prayer, and self-examination. And they lead right into another cycle of the very same thing, and a man lives with those four exercises. And you don't need me, and you don't need this church. All you need is a closet. That's the word the Savior would use. You can do it in your truck. You can do it in your car. You can do it when the store is empty. May the Lord bless us to do those more. What was number four? Paul? Praise and thanksgiving. David loved to praise the Lord. Did he say, Let's exalt the Lord together? Let's let's make our boast in the Lord? Did he love to ma- remember to magnify the Lord is to make him as big as you can, to extol him, to laud him, to honor him, to glorify him? He loved to lift up the God of heaven. The bigger the sacrifice, the better. He didn't care if it depleted his herds. It didn't matter. He taught Solomon well. How big was that sacrifice that I like about the dedication of the temple? Would somebody help me remember those numbers? How many sheep? went up on that 900 square foot altar. 120,000. Do you know what 120,000 sheep look like when they're tossed onto a 900 square foot altar? Who lit that fire? The God of Lord. heaven did. Amen. How many oxen? 22,000. Did that cost them a few bucks? Yeah. Was that dropping a 20 in the offering plate? That's praise and thanksgiving. That is loving to worship God. Did David love to get up in front of the congregation like Thor did tonight and give thanks? Right. Not just to be thankful, but to use this thing. He, what did he call this? The it's the glory. It's the glory of a man. God, can a tree do it? Are some trees beautiful? Can a rose do it? Can your kitty cat do it? Now, you animal lovers, just stay in your seats. God gave you something special. Right. You can praise and sing, and it's your tongue is called your glory, because by that thing you can speak and sing the praise of God and glorify Him. So it's called your glory. Amen. Does that mean we ought to use it once in a while for His glory? If He calls it our glory, do you know when David was when David was in poor health? So Hezekiah, so some other men, and they were afraid of dying, what was their chief argument? I if, you, if you cut me off early, my glory will be silent in the grave. Right. Now you wouldn't like that, would you, Lord? But if you'll let me live, I will speak of you to the generations to come, and I will sing your, sing your praise. Amen. T- that is holy reasoning in the Word of God. Right. Holy reasoning. You know, to lay in bed and say, Oh Lord, I just don't want to miss my children graduating. Can you do better than that? Can you do better? Can you say, I want to praise you to another generation? Amen. That's how holy men pray. Praise and thanksgiving certainly marked the life of David. What was next? Philip? Singing. He was God's musician. The man invented musical instruments. He arranged musical compositions. He organized bands, orchestras, singers, men's singers, women's all kinds of singers. He wrote the lyrics for them. He wrote the words. He wrote the poetry. He put them in their orders. He gave them their courses. And he put them up all night. What time of, what time of day could you go to the tabernacle when there wouldn't be any music? 24-7, there was praise of music and song going out at the tabernacle. Did Solomon learn well from David on that one? How many trumpeteers in the temple? 120. Do you know what 120 trumpets sound like? Would you get the impression that there was music being played? You know, 120 trumpets. Wonderful. And a bunch of singers. Praising the Lord. And David always told them what they better be doing with that music. So I asked you, if you're like David, what kind of music do you listen to? You still with Tammy Wynette? What kind of music are you listening to? You know, we ought to be listening to godly music that is lifting up the Lord and praising the Lord because that is what made David, part of what made David the way he was. Right. When we first met David, was he carrying a sword, a bow and arrow, a sling, or a harp? What was he hauling around? A harp! A harp! He was a musician! And a warrior. Great combination. What's the music like in your life? Do you love it when it comes on? Do you love the Hallelujah chorus? Do you want to jump out of your seat when the Hallelujah chorus plays? Can you sit there, can you just sit there and doze while the Hallelujah chorus is playing? You know, I know a king of England that couldn't sit there and doze when the Hallelujah chorus played. He stood up and paid homage to the king that that song was addressing. Can't remember exactly which George it was, but that doesn't matter. It was King George. And he stood up when Handel's Messiah was played when it got to the Hallelujah Chorus and created a tradition that's been followed for a couple hundred years. He stood up to give honor to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Mom, for piping that terrible music into my bedroom when I was a child. And Dad, for hardwiring that speaker right outside the bedroom door where Paul and I would be trying to be boys and you'd be blasting us with a hallelujah chorus. That was a good way to grow up. Amen. What was the last one that I went over a couple weeks ago? Number six. Temperamental triumphs. Temperamental triumph. Ruling your spirit. David knew how to rule his spirit. Did David ever get discouraged? What did he call it when he got discouraged? Being, cast being cast down. What did Paul call it when he was discouraged? Being cast, cast down. down. When David was cast down, did he work himself into destruction? No. Did he say, like, remember I told you how I say it? When I get very, when I get very cast down, I start talking to myself too. Soul, I'm cast down. I'll never do all this. I'll never get it done. I don't amount to anything. I'm not, I'm not accomplishing what I should. The Lord's disappointed with me. All these people are starving to death. I might as well quit. It's all worthless. I'm nothing. I'm discouraged. I talk to myself. I, not often, folks. Please don't prescribe anything for me or send me to a doctor tomorrow, but I'm just <laughs> I'm trying to help you by telling you what my temptation is to talk that way to myself. You know, it's like I want to slap myself. David, David did it so much better, didn't he? How did David talk to himself in Psalm 42? Oh, my soul, why art thou cast down within me? He asked a question. He did not talk himself in that downward spiral. He stopped and said, wait a minute, soul. Why art thou cast down? Why are you disquieted within me? Why are you all upset inside me? Why are you frustrated? Then he answered it. Hope thou in God, for he shall yet be the health and strength of thy countenance. He's still talking to himself. Hope in God. Stop that downward spiral. Arrest yourself, soul. This is ridiculous. Hope in God. God's going to rescue you. God's going to lift you up. God's going to get you through it. Go do the next thing on the to-do list and trust the Lord. Amen. That's that's all the time we can spend, but there were a lot of temperamental triumphs. If you ever, you know, you read the Psalms, and the the Lord will use those Psalms to pull you out of your temperamental troubles. Now, I want to give you a few before we quit tonight. That was a review, and it took most of my time. But I've already told you one secret. What's the most important thing we can learn from the heart of David? Four private exercises to do away from the here. 168 hours a week when we're not here, we can do those four things, and they will make you better. David was humble. God loves humility. And God will lift up a man that is humble and exalt him. And God lifted up David and exalted him. I I hope I don't have to tell you any verses that tell you that God loves a humble and a meek man. David was humble. Look at Psalm 131. Just to remind you of of a lesson that I just gave you last Sunday, so that I won't have to spend but a minute on this point. David was humble. He did not think highly of himself. Could he? Could he have? Should he have? Was he a hero? Had the guy cut off Goliath's head? Did he have that head in his tent? I hope it was in a plastic bag. But he he had it in his tent. Was he a hero? Was he good looking? Did everybody love him? Did they sing songs about David? Could he was, was there a little bit of a temptation to get haughty if you were David? A whole lot. But he didn't. Look at Psalm 131. This is last Sunday. Lord, my heart is not haughty. Even on the inside, David, was it, Lord? My heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. I don't have a puffed up look, a proud look. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. I'm about a five-year-old. I'm just trusting You, Lord, to take care of me. I'm not haughty, and I'm not trying to figure things out. I don't know why I was anointed at 16, and at 28, I'm still running for my life. But I'm not going to worry about it. My trust is in You, and I'm not haughty, and I'm not puffed up, and I don't try to figure it out. I'm a weaned child. Oh, he was he was modest. After he was anointed, Samuel poured oil on his head in front of his brethren. The Spirit of God came upon him. Do you think that gave him a little bit of prowess in anything? What did it mean to a lion and a bear that crossed his path once? He had the Spirit of God in him. He knew he was anointed to be the next king. His whole family knew it. He had eyewitnesses to the transaction. Saul employed him as a bodyguard and a harp player. When war with the Philistines came, David went home. What did David go home and do? Ten sheep. Are you able to get up tomorrow and go to some job that you think is pitiful? <laughs> Francis, are, are, you, are you able to go to a job tomorrow that you think is pitiful? David went back and kept sheep. He had been Saul's bodyguard. He was a musician. He was the anointed king of Israel. He was humble. Can we get down? Can we get down to where God can lift us up? The Bible says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due season. And did He exalt David? All the way to the throne of Egypt. Brother Matthew and I had to deal with a person that wrote into our website this week about when did Israel actually get all the land that God told Abraham He would get from Egypt to the Euphrates River. From the Mediterranean all the way to the land of Moab. When did that big chunk actually get into their possession? Who do you think did it? David. David expanded those boundaries. David had a fort on the Euphrates River. Go look at your map and see how big of a territory that is. Wow! God lifted him up. But do you know why? Because he was so humble. When so, after he cut off Goliath's head, and the whole nation shouts, chases the Philistines, they win a great battle. And David comes back holding that big ugly head in his left hand and that giant sword in his right hand, Saul said, Who are you? Now, wouldn't that have hurt your feelings if you'd been the man's bodyguard and played the harp for him and he said, Who are you? Would you? Hey. Hey, bud. You know, this is how they talk today. Hey, bud. Did you forget that I played the harp for you? Did you forget that I was your bodyguard? Why didn't you go cut this head off? Did they... Isn't that how people talk today? Yeah. Try, to manage some, try to manage an apartment anywhere today. That's how they want to talk. What did David say? I am the son of thy servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Right. A prince stood there whose name was Jonathan and heard that speech and the heart, his heart was knit to David's in that speech. And said, "I love that man like my own soul." Right. Goliath's head, Goliath's sword. I'm just the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. When Saul's servants came to him and said, "He wants to make, He wants you to marry his oldest daughter, Merib." What did he say? Wait. What are you talking about? I'm not good enough to be the king's daughter, son-in-law. I'm not, I'm not good enough to be the king's son-in-law. Then, after Merib was given to someone else. They said, well, now he wants to give you Michael, his second daughter. Well, wait a minute. I'm not good. I'm from a poor and a lowly esteemed family in Israel. I'm not good enough. Would, it? would that we would always think and talk that way. Right. Do you know what the Lord will do? Because he loves men like that. Because right. you know what? We're all a bunch of grasshoppers, and we're less than that, but I'm in a company of mixed people. I right, tell you what you really are. You're less than nothing. Your vanity. Whenever you're put on the balance, you and me together, we're put on the balance and vanity, which is nothing is put on the other side. Guess what? It's heavier than we are. He's humble. There's more that could be said about his humility, but he was wonderful in his humility. He knew that a broken and a contrite heart was what God loved more than anything else. David loved peace and unity. You're at Psalm 131. Look at 133. David was a peacemaker. Do you want a good word? It's a peacemaker. You know, Colt used to have something called a peacemaker, but it wasn't the kind of peacemaker that the Bible talks about. Remember? Did Colt ever have something called a peacemaker? That's what I remember. I'm not very old either. Am I, Eric? Is there such a thing that Colt ever made called a peacemaker a long time ago? But this, this is a different peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. Yes. All right? They'll be the children of God because that is a wonderful thing that a man can do is be a peacemaker. Whenever you see conflict between parties, if you can help them get together or if you've got a conflict with someone and you can get it resolved, if you can make peace, especially in the church of God, you are like David. David was a peacemaker. Look at Psalm 133. You know it. Look at behold. What's that word there for? Do you think this is important that's coming up? Behold. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How good it is. Does that mean it's easy? No, it's not easy for brethren to dwell together in unity. When brethren dwell together, there's usually going to be some little uh, offenses and conflicts that come up. But the word of God is, behold, how good and how pleasant when they will dwell together in unity! Exclamation point! It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. And it goes on to describe it in illustrious terms. When Aaron was anointed and and Moses poured over him the oil that represented the spirit and blessing of God, that's what it's like when men are peacemakers in the house of God. And David always tried to make peace. He wrote this song. He waited for Abner. Abner was Saul's man of war. Who chased David for all those years? Who was actually in charge of the armed forces? It was Abner. Who was the man, who was in charge of the armies of Absalom against David? Amasa. What did David do to both men? Freely forgave them. Freely forgave them. Because he was a peacemaker. I've got to get this nation back together. He forgave and made a covenant with both of them. Do you know what the covenant was with Amasa? I'll give you Joab's job. Hurry up and get back here so I can give you Joab's job. Well, guess when Joab heard that, what did he do? You know, both Abner and Amasa were killed by Joab because Joab was not a peacemaker. When David's coming back after hiding in the woods from Absalom, David's coming back. Shimei cursed him on his way out there. On his way back, they run into Shimei again, and Shimei is begging for his life. What do David's nephews suggest? Cut his head off. David, don't you know he made fun of you? What's David thinking? He's grieving over the death of his son. The nation is divided. It's had a civil war. Do you know there's only one thing that matters to David? Peace. And do you know who sacrificed his own reputation and his own envy and revenge? David. Don't you touch him. And David made a promise with him. I will not kill you. That's a peacemaker. Did David have a right to kill him? Absolutely. Absolutely. Had he cursed the king of Israel? Um, Who had the truth in the matter? David's nephews. The real truth of the matter was mercy, though. That's that's where you gotta think about mercy and truth. The real truth of the matter was mercy. And David forgave him. David loved peace and unity. I don't have time. Trust me. Psalm seven, one through five, Psalm thirty four, Psalm one hundred forty four, Psalm fifty five. You can go to those places and you can find out that David loved peace and David was a peacemaker and he prayed for it. And he said, those that pray for the peace of Jerusalem are good. David was a peacemaker. David hated wickedness. If you're going to be a man like David, then you need to have some hatred. You know, the world's trying to outlaw hatred. You can't hate anything. But you know, in order to love something good, you've got to hate the opposite of it or you don't really love it. If you love something good, you're going to hate something bad. If you're going to love holiness, you're going to hate wickedness. And David hated because David had intense emotions on behalf of God and righteousness. Right. He loved righteousness and hated iniquity, just like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, loved righteousness and hated iniquity. To be like David, you've got to have intense hatred for sin and sinners. David said, Lord, I count your enemies, my enemies, and I hate them with a the perfect hatred. We know those verses. This is part of being like David. He made, everything was Many things like that were black and white to him. There was not compromise in matters of righteousness. It was you're on that side and I'm on this side because the Lord's on this side. You are wrong and I can't stand you and you will not abide in my house. Right. He was intense about those things. David would say, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. What a difference he would... Whenever whenever he went to Barnes & Noble and flipped through a few books on the bestseller stand, he would come out of that store saying... I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Amen. Whenever he compared it to the word of God, he loved God's word. You know, he's the one that would write verses like we had this morning. Thy testimonies are very sure because he got sick of hearing and reading of men who were never sure of anything. David was intense about truth and he hated wickedness and evildoers. Gotta go on. David was friendly. Friendly, the Bible says. That a man to have friends must show himself friendly. And Jesus told his disciples, I don't call you servants. I call you my friends. David had friends. You know, there's a great verse in the Bible I hope you'll remember. Psalm 119 and verse 63 it says, I am a companion of all them that fear thee. You want to look at it? You're, you're in Psalm. Look at Psalm 119. David was friendly, but he limited his, his friendship to those that, were, that feared God. Psalm 119, verse 63, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Those were David's friends. He he isolated himself and surrounded himself with men that feared God and kept God's Word. Do you know what? If you've got friends like that around you all the time, guess what you're going to end up doing? You're going to end up fearing the Lord and keeping His precepts as well. There wasn't anyone there to drag David down into carnal living. Now, he got into it a couple times in his life, but that's his general rule. Is that rule taught in the New Testament? It says in the New Testament, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Amen. What are ministers told in Titus chapter one and verse eight? They ought to be lovers of good. good men. David was a lover of good men, and he wanted those men around him. He took care of all of his friends. Look at first Kings five. First Kings five. If I seem a little intense, I am. First Kings five, I want the the, the clock's running i got a rope on my ankle. First Kings 5. I want you to think about David kept friendships all over the place. When he went and rescued all of his stuff from Ziklag after Ziklag was taken captive by the Amalekites. Do you remember? He strengthened himself. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And he, he captured a whole bunch of booty. What did he do with all that booty that he captured? He sent it to all the elders of Judea. And it lists them all in 1 Samuel chapter 30. He was always taking care of his friends. I want you to read about one of the other best, one of the other greatest kings that were, that was on the planet at this time in David's life. His name was Hiram. 1 Kings 5. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants unto Solomon. For he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father. For Hiram was ever a lover of David. Richest cities in the history of the world. Tyre was a co- was a port town on the Mediterranean Sea, a very rich city. Hiram was ever a lover of David. And he heard that Solomon was king. Hiram sent all the stuff to, build, to have David have a house built for him when David was alive. Now he's sending all of his craftsmen and saying, listen, I'll float... I'll float trees down from from Tyre. I'll float every good cedar tree that we've got. I'll have my men haul it inbound in, inland and you can use the best wood that's available in the world to build that temple, Solomon. Look at what he says in verse 7. It came to pass when Hiram, Hiram, Solomon asked for some help. It came to pass when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, "Blessed be the Lord this day, which hath given unto David a wise son over this great people." Here was a Gentile, an outsider, that loved David. Who else did he love? He blessed Solomon in the name of Jehovah. There's these few characters out there among the Gentiles that God had his hand on. And he loved David. Ever a lover of David. I wonder why. Should we be a lover of David? Should we see things in David and the son of David that we want to, to, to practice in our lives? David was friendly. He had built up relationships like that. When David left the city of Jerusalem, what all the Philistines want to do? How many were there? 600. 600 Gittites, Parathites, Celethites, bodyguards. David's chosen Philistine men. When David saw them coming through the line that were going to flee from Jerusalem with him because of Absalom, what did he say to them? He said, go back. Listen, you're mercenaries. You don't need to be following me. Just go back in the city. Keep your homes. Keep your families. Keep the kids in school. And report to Absalom and be his bodyguards. That's what he said. As the Lord liveth, and as my king liveth, I will follow you in life or in death. Right, Itay the Gittite. That kind of loyalty is fantastic. Amen. And David had it because he was so friendly in the way he treated everyone very fairly. Do you know what Nabal's own servants said to Abigail when they saw Nabal mistreat David's servants? By day or by night, David's men always took care of us and always protected us, and we never lost a single thing when they were in the woods near our sheep. Whew, that's a great man. David loved holiness, brethren. Do you, what do you think it says in the does it say this once or twice in the book of Psalms? Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness? Remember his holiness? Does it mention that? David loved. He knew that to worship God acceptably, you had to come holy. He had a few lessons in his life. He tried it once on an ox cart. He knew that he had to approach God the right way. But if you want to read about the love of holiness, it is in the book of Psalms. It's mentioned in other places, but David mentions it over and over again about how to worship God in holiness. David was gentle and tender. Is gentle a sign of manliness? For real men, for great men, gentleness is very important. Jesus Christ was known for his gentleness and his meekness. And David was very gentle. When 200 men couldn't go any further, did he drive them on or did he let them rest? Did he share the spoils with them equally, with the 400 that could go on? Did he make fun of them at all? No. And he did it so well that it became a statute in Israel. Did he resent his nephews? When you've got three nephews and David, and Abner's lying there wallowing in his blood, David said, Ye sons of Zerah, though I am king this day. David only had two tribes for two years. Abner brought him the other ten tribes after two years. He made a compact with Abner I will forgive you all war crimes against Judah if you will bring the rest of the nation and unite this nation with me. And they made a deal. And Joab killed Abner because of jealousy and revenge and hate. And as he's wallowing there, David said, Though I am king this day, I am weak. Ye sons of Zeruiah are too hard for me. What does that tell you about that man? He loved mercy. He loved forgiveness. And that is why on his deathbed, 40 years later, Solomon. Do not let Joab go to the grave in peace. Protect your kingdom and revenge our family from what he did. David was gentle and tender. If you were to read the first chapter of Second Samuel, you would find him weeping and crying and making a lamentation, not just for Jonathan, for Saul and Jonathan. Right. A lamentation that shows you the depths of the heart of a man And his feelings for his own enemies. And he praised Saul in his lamentation. Because he was a gentle, forgiving man. May we be such men. And David was zealous. Do I need to tell you anything about David's zeal? When keeping his sheep, David had zeal. Do you know what Paul says about zeal? It is good. It is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. Zeal is good. Galatians 4.18 Was David zealous? When David was out keeping sheep and a bear appeared, did he run up a tree or run home? He ran at the bear. When a lion appeared, did he run up a tree or run home? He grabbed the lion. When he went to meet Goliath, did he stand there waiting for Goliath to come to him? He ran to meet him. When he ran to meet Goliath, how many stones did he take? Five. He was hoping for a family reunion that day. He was hoping that his four brothers would be there. He was. He was going to take them all out. David had zeal. What a, what a man. When Saul said, if you want my daughter Michael, I need a hundred foreskins, how many did he bring? Two hundred. Why did he go to the ex, why did he go the extra mile or, or the extra foreskin? Why did he do that? Because he was zealous. Oh, all you want me to do is whip a few Philistines to get your daughter? You only want a hundred? He brings back a bag with two hundred. And they counted them out one by one. You can read it for yourself. I won't turn you to that passage. He collected, he collected, he troubled himself to collect as much as he could for the building of the temple. He was zealous, right? And he was gentle. And he danced with all of his might. And he was meek. And he was holy. What a man. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus Christ, who sits in heaven right now, is said to sit on the throne of David. And he is not ashamed to be called the son of David. But I want to tell you something. The Lord Jesus Christ is far greater than David. Amen. Far greater. David is not our Savior. David is in as much need of a Savior as we are. He has his own sins that he needs to have put away by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is greater than David by every measure. But God chose to give us a greater picture of David's personal dealings in life than we even have of the Lord Jesus. So it's an example for us to learn how we can live and conduct our lives to conform them more perfectly to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I hope that you will not quickly forget the heart of David, but that we might together go out of this place remember that the four personal, private, spiritual exercises made him what he was more than any other thing right and then from these other things we've learned about him and adapt them as well to our lives may the lord bless this church to be full of those that the lord looks on the inside and says they're after my own heart that's the kind of church i want for you amen and him may the lord bless the preaching of his word